it's my favorite place. This is the name of the podcast. It's my favorite play. Hi, I'm Elise Arduino. And I'm Jeffrey Todd Knuckles, and welcome to My Favorite Plague. Doing our part in this most recent plague, we bravely stayed home and watched television. Discovering a fascination with plagues, we also kept discussing what our behaviors during a plague said about us and our society. We thought you might enjoy this conversation as well, so every episode, we pick a plague and each present our favorite thing about that plague. After presenting our favorite thing, we discuss what we think it all means. We have created uh, discussion boards on our website, myfavoriteplague.com, so we can hear your opinions and ideas. Too soon? We don't think so. Probably too late, if you ask us. What plague is this? Hi, I'm Pete. Plague has been around for a long, long time. Today's episode focuses on the most ancient examples of Yersinia pestis that we could find. This disease has shaped the world from the very beginning and has very likely caused population disruption, mass migration, and significant cultural changes as human beings shifted from hunter-gatherer to farming and domestication. While diseases certainly have affected hunter-gatherers, the conditions of community building made an ideal environment for the spreading of plague and Yersinia pestis proved quite adaptable to the new way of living. Now it's time to hear Elise and Todd's favorite things about this ancient plague. And now it's time for Elise. Todd and I wanted to do a little different episode today. Uh, we are spending our time talking about prehistoric plague. We've spent time doing different plagues, but we really wanted to examine some of the oldest plagues and how they affected human development. I'm going to talk about the excavation of Haman Menga in China. And part of the reason I wanted to do about through this episode is also in this particular point is we've really gotten into archaeology and studying different archaeological digs and archaeological practices to find out more about plagues. And in looking at prehistoric plagues, this is one of the most interesting subjects because it discusses the challenge of how to discover cause of death, especially when you're talking about 5,000 years ago. And it's pretty tough. If you think like there's a whole episode of CSI or Bones where you're trying to figure out the cause of death in modern, modern times, and this is going back to prehistoric times, and there's been a lot of damage done to the remains. Um, but I chose this one partly because it illustrates that so well, but also, and I'll post these photos on the website or links to these photos, the dig itself is really creepy and impressive. It's almost shocking to look at. I can see looking at this, the pictures of this dig and reading about it, that the archaeologist had to get really creative and it had to be really difficult to gather the information that they needed to make their determinations about the site. 
this super cool science with people who were meticulous and a site that has a lot to tell. I also want to spend a little bit of time talking about these challenges that they faced. North and slightly east of Beijing, it's technically Inner Mongolia, there's this gruesome excavation site of Hamanmunga. There were three seasons of digging in 2010, 2011, and 2012. In one of the buildings, they found approximately 97 skeletons, and the structure was burned, and they were all piled up on top of each other. It's pretty creepy. And while the site separate from this building has several items of archaeological interest, like more bodies, um, pit houses, other burials, and surrounding ditches, it was this attention-grabbing discovery that made the news. While eight of the pit houses held bodies, the major find was the one that had 97 bodies in it. There's archaeological evidence that the house was quickly abandoned and set on fire after the death of the people inside. And like I said, I've included links to the pictures, and it's it's worse than a horror movie. From what I bet read, it would be really difficult to completely excavate the bodies without destroying the find, So because the bodies are piled up on top of each other and held together with sediment. So if you tried to pull them out, you would destroy what was underneath. So the number of bodies in the dig are an educated guess. And the evidence of how the bodies were placed and the pottery found in the house indicates that the house was being used as a residence at the time of the placement of the bodies. So in the whole site, the number of bodies is 181. So that means over half the bodies are in this one house. And it's hard to determine the sex of the individuals because, as I said, they're stacked on top of each other and... The find is really old, and there was the burning, so it's you're never going to be able to sex all the bodies, but they were determined the sex of 21 of the 181, and 7 were male and 14 were female. Also, they were able to determine that the average age appears to be 26. And then here's more cool science. I'm not sure if the bodies were too decayed to check for DNA in the teeth or if that science wasn't available to these scientists in China, but they had to determine the cause of death with available evidence. So as they clearly determined the site was suddenly abandoned, I'm not going to go into how do they do that. Apparently it's pretty easy to determine in the biz. They developed four hypotheses about how these skeletons ended up where they did. And this reminded me so much of an Agatha Christie novel where the detective gathers everyone in the room at the end and goes through them one by one um, and then comes to the killer last. You're probably wondering why I invited all of you here. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) So, suspect number one. And they're all very inconvenienced. Yeah, they're all like, can you hurry up? Yes. Conflict. That's the first suspect. And it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good suspect. But to prove conflict caused the mass mass death, there are specific types of injuries that were likely to be present in the bodies. And the main, main injury, which is something Todd and I learned on the British archaeology show Time Term Time Team. Time Team. Check it out, folks. It's on YouTube. It's a great show. It's on Prime, I think, too. Yeah, it, it is. But, you know, it's all over the place. We, that was another... Um, that was another pla- uh, uh, plague. That was another pandemic find. We watched a lot of Time Team. I it, forgot no, that we spent all that time it, doing no, it. No. We watched all of Time Team. And repeatedly. Well, yeah. you watched... I know that I'm... 
pretty sure we watched every single episode. Right. Um, we learned about parry wounds on Time Team and what a parry wound is when you um, shove your forearm above your head to ward off a blow. And it's a very specific kind of injury to your forearm. And those are really common in areas of known conflict. You would also have common sites of easily broken bones like ribs and some limbs, and none of those were broken in these bodies here. Also, conflict fatalities tend to be largely male, and for the skeletons that could be identified, it wasn't mostly male. The other thing is that people tend to take spoils of war, and these bodies were interred with valuable and easily portable artifacts, mainly jade, and they would have likely been taken as trophies or to take with them when they moved. Based on past digs and research, they were able to reject the conflict hypothesis with the available evidence. And that's pretty cool that they used all this previous data and determined what should or shouldn't be there. Yeah, cool. So suspect number two was geological disaster. They were able to look at a geological survey and determine there was no trace of flood or earthquake. Um, They looked at the deposition of sand and were able to rule out sandstorm. They were able to determine from the position of the bodies that they were not trying to escape the house as it burned and no evidence that the fire was a natural event, particularly as some of the pit houses, other ones, the other pit houses don't have any burning. Suspect number two, geological disaster ruled out. The third one is, I mean, it wouldn't have been cool for them, but it would have been a cool find, um, was ritual sacrifice. Previous digs determined that ritual killing is usually related to a specific gender and age group and linked to a ritual place. In Iron Age Northern Europe, for example, it was mainly young men buried in bogs, or in South America, captive warriors were killed in a sacred space. The random distribution of the bodies and the random um, genders and ages of the bodies suggest no ritual, and so they ruled out ritual sacrifice. Dun, dun, dun! Right, dun, dun, dun. Who's the final suspect? Who's the most likely candidate? Well, if you're a fan of this podcast, you know it has to be plague. The plague! (laughs) Based on the evidence, they can't prove it was plague. So it cannot be considered one of the earliest examples of plague definitively, but it is the most likely suspect. A 204-square-foot house piled up with bodies does not suggest that people entered the dwelling alive and mobile. The placement suggests that they were carried in by others. Interestingly, the evidence suggests that the bodies found outside the house of 97 bodies seem to have not been moved and may have been left at the place where they died, possibly before they realized the dangers of plague. The house with 97 bodies suggests that the living were forced to deal with a large number of deceased bodies and did the best they could. Another big difference between the house with all the bodies is that it appears to have been cleared prior to the deposition of all the bodies, while there are personal artifacts with the other ones. The final piece of evidence seems obvious. When confronted with plague, the smart move is to isolate. Once these people realized they had a plague on their hands, they worked to prevent cross-transmission. The working hypothesis is that the people were infected by eating a wild animal and caught a viral plague. Alternatively, Our friend Yersinia pestis was present in Eurasia 5,000 years ago, so it could have been that. The settlement was abandoned after a sanitizing fire, and the people left with whatever they could carry to a new location. None of this is definitive, and the people carrying out the excavation identified the need for more interdisciplinary work to come to more conclusions. 
It would be wonderful someday if genetic testing could identify what happened to the survivors once they left the settlement. But this site and how they came up with all these theories is just my favorite thing. And in a different lifetime, I would have loved to be one of those people coming up with these theories and testing them. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty. It, it, well, I'll show you the pictures. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. All right. Um, you'll show our audience. I'll picture. show the audience as well. Yes. How, how did they find this site? How did they locate this site? So this site, apparently there's other sites all around it. It's a very common, uh, something to do with um, the location and the topography and the weather has made it a really popular archaeological site. And there's similar sites nearby, but none this dramatic and with this level of um, archaeological goodies, <laughs> like we said. But it's... Um, this region of China apparently is a big archaeological region. And now it's time for Todd. Okay, now it's my turn on the MIC, and I'm going to talk about a little little thing here. Um, so at least told you a story about the possible oldest instance of plague, and I'm going to tell you all about the oldest doc- documented episode of plague so but in order to tell you about that i have to discuss a little something a little block party called neolithic decline neolithic means new stone age uh so it is likely that this was the period in which the flintstones took place so absolutely how accurate that was you know like when a pterodactyl would be playing your phonograph record with its you know beak and then it would lift it up and say something funny to you that's the time we're talking about uh, the time period of the Neolithic age is 10,000 to 4,500 BCE, which means before the Common Era, if you don't know what that means, uh, look it up, and was considered to be the time in which some groups shifted from hunter-gatherer to the beginning of farmer farming and animal domestication. That, so that's a big leap. However, Neolithic decline is a rapid abandonment of these previously settled areas and a significant population decline. It is important to note that while the idea of Neolithic decline is widely accepted, there is some dispute in the following areas. Maybe it wasn't mortality that caused the decline, but low birth rate. Another theory is that maybe there wasn't a decline at all, and there were plenty of diseases outside of the plague that could kill early early populations, and not just the diseases that come from close living and animal domestication. The point was also made that dogs were domesticated very early and could have been hosts for all kinds of zoonotic transfers that could cause disease. Now, this is obviously ridiculous because we all love dogs and dogs are cool. Don't listen to it, Harley. Don't listen to those lies. Nonsense, right? But these theories and ideas are outside the scope of this podcast. Generally, it is accepted that Neolithic decline was a thing What happened? Well, there are a lot of theories. Now, previously, plague strains were thought to have evolved from Bronze Age settlements, but a study published in the Journal of Cell Reports Mm -hmm. in 2021 suggests that it may have evolved solidly in the Neolithic period, substantially earlier than previously believed. This was discovered from a hunter-gatherer grave originally found in 1875 in Latvia, But the specimens were lost in World War II. They were found again in 2011, uh, as well as two additional graves 
that had not been previously known about. The finding of our mutual friend Yersinia pestis was something of an accidental finding as they mostly wanted to study the DNA. But luckily, they scanned for bacteria and viruses as well. Uh, the, strains of, the strains of plague found in these skeletons were related to the strains found in later Bronze Age plague victims. One of the features of this strain of plague was that it had not yet evolved to be transmitted by fleas. So although it was deadly, it was not as easily transmissible, transmissible as later versions of the virus. Uh, so the skeletons discovered in Latvia would have been directly bitten by an animal with plague in order to catch the disease, and it would not have spread as easily to other members of the group of the tribe. In fact, there were four burials in this find, and only one member of the group had the plague. So you had to be, you, it was probably easier to avoid a rat than it was a little flea. Right. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, because you see the rat coming, or you know where the rats are, or whatever. And there just aren't as many of them as there are fleas. Right. And, and you just wave away a flea, you know, you know, you don't <laughs> wave away a rat. Um, anyways, okay. Another interesting feature of this discovery is the fact that even though these remains are 5,000 years old, the genetic analysis suggests that the actual bacteria evolved up to 7,000 years ago. Holy crap. And that is some seriously old bacteria. While uh, it, may not, it may not have spread as quickly as the medieval plague, it must have had some impact. Now here's a question. Did plague help to cause Neolithic decline? Simon Rasmussen thinks it is possible. His 2018 paper on divergent strains of Yersinia pestis is chock full of scientific goodies. <laughs> it's a 45-page paper. We, we, we downloaded it and printed it out and everything. and uh, Highlighted it. Yeah, we, we looked over it. But, uh, yeah, so it's a, it's a good, it, lots of graphs and everything. We have learned throughout this podcast that living close together helps plagues spread Living in close contact with animals is also a feature of settlement, and that also creates plague problems. Trade comes with travel, and travel helps plague spread, but it could spread enough simply through animal bites to cause a major decline, especially at a time when you're close to animals. Right. You know, now we're, we're you know, the farms are way far away, you know, but then from most people. people's... Uh, the building, the room where people kept their animals was often right next to the room in which they slept. Yeah, yeah, you had your horses and your everything. Because right they were valuable. You didn't want anyone to steal them. Right. I think actually you were also closer, like, you were more in tune with your horse. You know, it was, you. I don't think you thought of it as something as separate as we think of animals now. Right. Your lives were very interdependent. Right. Right. Animal bites to cause a major decline. I digress. A decline in agriculture and a decrease in food that drove... Was it a decline in agriculture and a decrease in food that drove the decline? The flea-borne version of plague has not been identified as being present until the first millennium BC. So it remains confusing, at least to me. Sometimes, some scientists have theorized that without the gene that allows flea transmission, the likeliest form of plague to be transmitted would have been pneumonic plague also septicemic plague, uh, which makes it a more deadly form as 90% of untreated pneumonic plague ca cases are fatal. If this is true, plague could have driven people out of what is now the Russian region and into the European region, which is 
something that did happen. I believe it would take something pretty serious to make people from this time travel, which travel was dangerous, you know, and, and not only that, but you're just, you're, you know, now we know like, well, if you go here, this is what you'll find. They didn't know what they would find. They just right. knew they had to go. I believe it would take something pretty serious to make people from this time travel from Ru- the Russian steppes into Europe, leaving the life they knew behind and engaging in dangerous travel. The reason that this is my favorite thing, my favorite thing about this plague is in part why we decided to do this podcast, this episode at all. More and more, we are coming to the conclusion that plague helped shape the development of civilization. We have already learned that plague comes with settlement. But what I think this find illustrates is that the plague has shaped the world. And from the very beginning, if the plague evolved 7,000 years ago, it has been a part of the modern development of the entire species of Homo sapiens. What? Maybe that isn't big news to the scientists that study this stuff all the time, but I never figured that plague is a part of who we are. That in some respect, we are who we are and where we are. Mm, mm-hmm. Because of the plague. I know there could have been a lot of different things that drove migration and population decline, but plague looks like a good suspect. It makes me wonder what major shifts in human uh, beings will occur because of COVID and whatever comes next. Wow. So that's a lot. We really hit the listeners with a lot. This is chock full of information. So um, we apologize if there was a lot of action packed action-packed action in this episode. Do you think, Todd, that... Yes, Elise. Yes. That a plague that was harder to transmit could... I mean, I think about, you know, it killed... The medieval plague killed, what, half to two-thirds of the European population? Something like that? Something like that. Sure. Do you think a plague that could ha- you had to be bit by an animal could cause that kind of migration? Well... Well, for one thing, there were less people. Mm, true. I mean, true. there were less people, so a huge, you know, a huge group back then wasn't as big as a huge group now. I think probably, yeah, I think so. Because if you're, you know, if a lot of people are dying and, you know, someone says, I know, let's go. Right. That way, you know, we're, we're going to all die if we stay here. Right. That could have been what someone said around the campfire. If we stay here, we're all going to die. I think the only thing we need to do is leave. Whatever is here is killing us. And if they were hunter-gatherers, moving was part of their deal anyways, or if they were closer to hunter-gatherers. I mean, they they were starting to settle, but it wasn't like they were in downtown Manhattan. Right, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, they were still hunting. Hunting was still a big part of what they were doing. So the hunting here is not good anymore. We have to go somewhere where the hunting and the gathering is better because we're dying. And I guess you just keep moving because, you know, you, you move one, you go so far and it's no good. And you just keep going because you're not going to go back because right. going back is death. Right. And if you're from Russia and then you go to, you know, maybe, I, um, you know, I don't know, maybe Finland or somewhere like that. And you end up somewhere like that in the summer. Right. Hey, wow, it's beautiful here. What's the here? Right. And then winter comes and you're like, okay, we got to get the hell out of here. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Okay. Well, that that was a good one. Yep, folks. Okay. Ancient plague. 
What does it all mean? What does it all mean? What does it all mean now? What does it all mean? What does it all mean? What does it all mean now? So as Todd and I talk about what we think this all means, we're tending to get a little, I don't know, global, mystical, something like that, where we're starting to realize how much, I think more than either of us ever expected when starting this podcast, how much plague has to do with human beings being who they are. We just never, did you ever think about that? I did not. So I just thought, you know, plague, I, 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 you know, plague and lots of people die. I mean, I did know a little bit about how the plague affected Europe um, through Dorsey Armstrong. So it definitely right. changed things, you know, right. through Dorsey. Uh, I mean, it, it changed. I knew that, but I didn't really know. I didn't know this. And I just, I think that when I think of the evolution of human beings, I think of that and it's out, it's outdated now, but there's been that sort of universal chart of like Darwin chart or something is a little monkey and then it goes to like Neanderthal and it goes yeah, up, yeah, came yeah, and blah, yeah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. And it just seems, I, I guess, one thing I don't ever think about is what natural selection actually means. Because natural selection doesn't care about anything but survival. And it's not like, ooh, that's a cool trait. It's what, what, what rewards procreation. Mm-hmm. And plague has a tremendous impact on procreation. And so, of course, it's going to genetically shape human beings. And of course, it's going to, and it's not just their genetics, it's going to shape their movements and where they go. But it's just, when I think of how I used to think of evolution and development previously, it was, you know, there were monkeys, and then the monkeys who were a little bit smarter lived longer. And then the monkeys who could eat a certain kind of food, lived longer. And I never thought about how in, I never thought about this development of human beings as being so connected and interdependent with everything else around them. It was always presented to me as this sort of isolated evolution of a particular being, not a being that interacted and related and was changed by and changed everything around them. That we, you know, human beings have this exceptionalism, but we're shaped by our environment. We're shaped by everything we live with and we shape everything around us as well. And it's not this solo progression of evolution. It is a bunch of ecosystems and creatures and plagues and microbes all interacting with each other and changing together. Am I starting to sound like a nut? Uh, no, I just think that what we, I think that we're, I have been, but you, you know, I don't hang out in nature. I'm not no. in tune with nature. And I think that whether we like it or not, we are, you know, I mean, right. well, I mean whether we like it or not, we're affected by it. You know, whether or not, I mean, we're not in tune with it, but whether, whether or not we know it, this, it's all, it's, it's all working together. Right. You know? 
all kind of mixed up. Yeah, it's mosaic. And I feel like, I don't know if it's Western theology and Western science or Western perspective, because I do think that there are other perspectives that presented. It always sounded so new agey and hippy dippy that, oh, we're all part of the greater universe, you know, but we are. We are, man. Right. We're all just stardust. And we are who we are because of everything around us. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh my God, Todd, are we going to turn into hippies? I hope not. I don't think so. Nothing against hippies, ma'am, but it's not us. No. Yeah. No, I can't. I can't do patchouli. I no, do I don't like patchouli either. Yeah. I, don't, yeah. I only like a, a few of the Grateful Dead records. Some of their stuff goes a little bit, kind of keeps going on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad we've effectively established that. Established That's that. what we discovered, folks. We're not hippies. Mm-hmm. The end. Okay. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you for listening to our episode on prehistoric plagues. We hope you enjoyed it. We really want to thank Pete for doing such an excellent job with the introduction and for all of the tech support that he continues to provide. Please like and follow us wherever it is you listen to the podcast. It really helps a lot and it helps other people find us. If you give us a rating and even a review, that would be fabulous and we'd really appreciate it. If you go to myfavoriteplague.com and become a member, We have so many members-only episodes on topics that we really think you would all enjoy, as well as a couple really good movie recommendations. So please, go to the website. We're remodeling it next week. It's going to be even prettier. And become a member. Get the episodes. Join the discussion board. It'll be great. Next episode, we are going to be discussing malaria. Look forward to that. Thank you, and have a lovely and plague-free day.